Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On today's episode, I have a wide-ranging conversation with the designer and educator Eric Brandt. Eric is probably best known for his curatorial project, Ficciones Typographica, where for the last five years, he turned a 24 by 36 inch frame on the side of his garage in Minneapolis into a really interesting rotating exhibition of work that has been submitted by graphic designers from all around the world. The project just finished and has been commemorated in a book published by Formis that just came out last month. Eric is also a professor and the chair of the graphic design program at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design, and that's where we begin this conversation. We talk a lot about design education and Eric's teaching philosophy, but we also talk about his background growing up all around the world and his undergraduate studies in philosophy and how this all led to a career in graphic design. And we talk about how to work on projects that create dialogue and community and how to be a designer that stays creative uh, throughout your entire life. This was truly a wonderful conversation. I found Eric's thoughts to be just so generous and inspiring, and I hope that you enjoy it too. Remember, if you're a fan of the podcast and want to help support it, you can become a member for $5 a month or $50 a year. Members get an exclusive monthly newsletter that goes out at the beginning of every month and sort of expands on the themes of the podcast, previews upcoming episodes, and shares relevant and interesting links and stories around design and criticism and writing and practice and all the stuff that we talk about each week on the podcast. These memberships really help with the ongoing production of Scratching the Surface, so if you enjoy the show and want to help out, I'd love for you to to join the membership program. Thank you, as always, for your support, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Eric Brandt. In preparing for this, I, I had read a bunch of other interviews that you've done, and I saw... I watched a panel that you were on at the AIGA Island Design Conference about design education. Right. And you had a a line in there that really struck me. And you said that you see your approach to design, you see your approach to teaching. It's something you kind of talk to your students about and to your colleagues about that all of design and kind of new media all falls under this concept of the reconciliation of projected and reflected light. Yeah. <laughs> and you kind of said that, and then you just kind of moved on a little bit. <laughs> and I would love to start with that because I found that such a fascinating phrase. What does the reconciliation of projected and reflected light mean? Well, that that concept actually came out of um, uh, my work here at MCAD where I you know, when I when I first got here, I was asked to start teaching, um, you know, along with graphic design, some 2D foundation classes. Mm. And so I actually really love teaching that class precisely because it's not a design class. But there was, um, and I think this is true of other schools too, there was an impression, uh, especially amongst fine arts faculty at MCAD, that the 2D foundation class was like a secret funnel into the design department, just, mm. because, just because of the way the the let's say traditional problems were set up, et cetera. And I think there actually was some truth to that. Um, but my approach to the class really worked under this com- this umbrella concept of, of reconciling projected and reflected light because I wanted to give the students, no matter, most of them hadn't decided a major yet, but I wanted to give them, um, you know, that's that same umbrella to work under, because it seems to me that no matter what discipline you eventually um, major in or what life you pursue, that that issue is going to be at the heart of it. Um, right, right. We're all we're all making things. And if, if they're digital, if they're um, if they're real, they have to be uh, reconciled in some way. A, a book is going to have to be represented in, in a digital format. Um, a book is going to have to be real in reflected light, so to speak. So a lot of the work that I do with students and the, the work that I do on my own really, you know, focuses on this. And I think it's, you know, I mean, perhaps it's kind of an outdated concept, too, because especially in this day and age when everything is so much focused on the digital, it's often a massive surprise, especially to, I think, be, to beginners to actually see something that they've been making Right. Um, and so, you know, I've devised some what I like to call, you know, exquisite torture uh, 
problems that, um, you know, so for example, in, in, in approaching color theory, um, my interest is to have them working in color digitally and in reflected projected light environments at the same time. So they understand mm -hmm. that they're manipulating these things and that they can manipulate them and they can't rely on what they see, so to speak. Um, and that's, that's been, yeah, that's been really enjoyable. And I know, uh, you know, through some of the problems, they, the, the torturous aspect of it is, is yeah. real, but I've, you know, over the years, thankfully have, you know, heard from many students back that they, uh, they still remember those, those, those confrontations, you know, and how to, how to keep them with them. I'm curious, kind of, as you're presenting this to your students and as you are kind of setting up the class this way, do the students get it are they kind of on board with that and the reason i ask that is because i'm thinking about my own foundation classes right uh, and just probably being a little bit arrogant probably kind of thinking i already knew what design was and what i wanted to do felt like like why are we doing these types of right. projects like this yeah. is not what i came to to school for uh what are your students like when you kind of present it in this almost kind of abstract, kind of blurring the lines between disciplines way. Right, right. I think, you know, I, I imagine that, you know, there's, it's, it's a typical, um, you know, breakdown. There's some that have immediate buy-in, some that are in the middle and some, as you're describing, and perhaps rightfully so, you know, because they, you know, they, they might feel like, oh gosh, this isn't for me because they feel they right. are uh, fluent digitally in a sense. Right. And, and in many ways they are. There's an aspect of that of, of that problem that I give um, that, that begins with really intense study of color theory, but it's, it's an idiosyncratic approach to the theory. They have to literally mix the colors themselves. And that's where mm -hmm. the rubber really hits the road. Yeah, yeah. And you end up having fantastic conversations. I remember one group, they were all to a, to, to a person really frustrated with, with, with purple. And it was such a, <laughs> was such a great discussion because they were, you know, I was like, Oh, let's talk about this. Well, you know, what's the story here? You know, a little red, a little blue. Uh, and they're like, right. Oh yeah, but that's not the way it turns out. And you know that. And but, but <laughs> the, the, the problem actually evolves into a time-based setting as well. And, Often there is when it really clicks, because at that point, I'll be able to say, you know, you more than any other generation before you are probably unbelievably fluent in cinematic techniques without even knowing it, because mm -hmm. you've been exposed to you've been exposed to all the tricks, so to speak. And whether you know it or not, you, you have these, um, you know, these approaches at, at your command. And and that's where it kind of all comes together. And then we start talking about uh, sound and rhythm and time sequence and, you know, and developing things and then, you know, but still thinking really about color and representing that. And is it captured the right way? Is it, is it, is it projected right. the right way, et cetera? So, yeah, it's, it's, it, you know, it's a process. I mean, I'd like to think I'm, I'm enthusiastic and I, and I try to project that. And, um, but I know, especially at the initial stages, um, it's, 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 it's pretty laborious. Um, yeah. but you know, that's, that's, that's part of my, obligation <laughs> right 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 yeah i love that i'm i mean something that i'm really interested in is kind of like i mentioned earlier kind of blurring the lines between these disciplines and and not being so rigid about uh this is graphic design this is yeah. art this is industrial design this is digital design i really like kind of uh kind of confusing those a little bit and kind of mixing them up a little bit. And, and so I'd like to talk about your background a little bit because you grew up literally all around the world uh, and you originally studied philosophy, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. And so I'm kind of curious how that background maybe influences that kind of approach to design that you were just talking about. For me, you know, I... I was studying philosophy at, at William and Mary, and I think it's true. Most American programs, they're they're more, let's say, they're more interested in um, you know sort of the pragmatists, um, mm. the purses, the Russells, etc. And I was more interested in the so-called continental um, uh, philosophers. You know what what in those programs they actually consider more to be literature, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to philosophy. But I think you know. What I what I got out of that 
in the in the most thorough way was really um, a desire and a and a process for asking questions. It wasn't mm. so much it wasn't so much a matter of of understanding the canon, so to speak, and and writing on this and writing on that. It was really more about how to ask and how to look for the right questions. And I think that was in a way a perfect preparation. What I didn't know then it was a perfect preparation for graphic design because. That's of course what we do, you know. Whenever we right. we come up with a, uh, you know, have a new challenge or something like that, we're 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 asking questions. We're trying to find uh, obviously solutions. But um, I'm I'm very enamored of that uh, that question ask, asking part of the process, um, and so I think that was yeah. yeah that was the key issue that I discovered in that study. And so then, how did you how did you go from studying philosophy to eventually getting an MFA in yeah. design? Well, it, it, I, you know, I, um, after, after school, I went back to Germany and I was teaching there for a little while. And then I had a chance to go to Japan. Um, and like most people, when I first got there, I was uh, teaching English, but mm. in, I discovered a, uh, an English speaking monthly was starting up in the city where I was in Fukuoka, which is in Kyushu, the Southern Island. And I approached them because I had, ironically, had been drawing this really silly comic, um, mostly for friends. And I, I just went into their editorial office and introduced myself and said, you know, I have this, this silly comic and they, <laughs> they really they really loved it because it was it was it was really i think it was really bad but it was it was not a manga comic so it, it and it it was it was actually you know in, in its own way very popular there but as i as i started working with them more they they figured out that i could write that i could edit um and so i started you know freelancing for them doing some you know some small reporting some film reviews and things like that and i eventually i just talked them into hiring me full time and from there i started working with all these fantastic gra japanese graphic designers and learning quark in in japanese characters and it was just a it was it was such a great experience i mean i was i was a total um neophyte but i had really good teachers and i quickly learned that i didn't know anything about what i was doing but that that position and we were we were quite advanced actually we were already i mean i had a um uh an apple 145b laptop with a 9600k mm, nice. modem and yeah. i was i was the fastest man in the city and we would <laughs> we worked with uh we worked with designers all over the world but you know you had to download stuff overnight but they would use my computer to do that because i had the, I had a faster <laughs> modem uh but we you know it, yeah it was a fantastic experience so by the time i came back to the states and i i started working at another newspaper I knew I, w I wanted more. And ironically, years before, when I was still uh, studying philosophy, I was also taking art classes. And I had a teacher okay. there who who at one point told me, like, you should really think about studying graphic design and you should you should go to VCU. And I had no idea what she was talking about at the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but later on, it all it all clicked. And, uh, you know, they they let me in. I was I was the weirdo there at VCU. You know, the, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's how it happened. I didn't realize that while you were studying philosophy, you were also taking art classes. I'm curious about that kind of um, that kind of dynamic. What was it? Uh, can can you kind of take us back to that time? What were you interested in that you were both in these philosophy classes, uh, but then you were also taking art classes? What <laughs> what was that like? What were you thinking about at the time? Well, yeah, I mean, I'd always, I'd, you know, since I think like many people, obviously, like most people, I've been drawing and, and, um, mm -hmm. and painting since I was a kid. And um, my mother was very creative. My, 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 my father was more of an intellectual. So it's actually okay, kind of, okay. kind of the, the perfect balance. But um, yeah, for me, the art classes were, you know, it was just, an, it was another world. And it was a really soothing world and something that, uh, that surprised me, you know, that I, you know, in, in taking some of the, the beginning classes there, um, I didn't, I didn't expect the kind of response that I was getting from professors. It was really encouraging. It was really, um, mm -hmm. uh, supportive. And, and I, you know, I, I, for me, it was, it was just a way of working through problems in another way. And so, you know, whether it was doing dimensional work or, 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 or two dimensional work, I, I just, I found another way of, of, of being myself, but I tell you honestly, it didn't, it didn't click in that way until much later. 
I I didn't yeah. I didn't see it as a uh, I mean I made stupid flyers for you know our silly silly little punk rock band that we were in together my friends and I and uh, the very famous Swiss Family Manson and uh, uh, you know I just I had no clue what I was doing that that, yeah. that, that was actually a pathway for the future. Yeah, I mean, the reason I ask is because when I was in grad school, my MFA was obviously in graphic design, but I had a concentration in critical theory. And so oh. for my two years in grad school, I was taking like half studio kind of traditional graphic design classes, and then the other half were kind of seminar philosophy classes. Yeah, oh, And when I look back on that time, I'm like kind of mad at myself of how long it took me to <laughs> see the connections between both of those. Yeah. Uh, and like the way the schedule was, it was like the first half, it was like Monday and Tuesday were my design classes. And then I had like Wednesdays off or something like that. And then Thursday and Friday, I was in these writing and philosophy classes. And so it felt like I had this really kind of weird split week where I was kind of going, I was like, bouncing back between two different things yeah. and then all of a sudden it clicked and i realized how <laughs> connected they were but it took me a long time to kind of see that connection so i was kind of yeah. curious to hear your experience of something you know somewhat similar oh i can i can totally relate you know i mean the, the you know when i was in graduate school when it when it really clicked um I, I had the same feeling like oh my gosh like i could have been doing this so much earlier <laughs> um <laughs> You know, it was it it was interesting because when I first started, um, I was yeah I was kind of the I think the the odd um, part of the group the first year group mm -hmm. I hadn't gone to an undergraduate program so a lot of the vocabulary was um, mm -hmm. you know not right. within my within my experience and so there was a lot of uh, catching up that I did that was really fun and I just I you know I was in you know my studio 24 7 I just loved every minute of it but yeah no I could totally relate to that um but it was it was actually some of my teachers back then um that was really fortunate um uh who who were helping me make those connections you know they, they saw some of the early process I was developing um and they what what I what I really struggled with back then I I didn't have a problem with developing process I had a problem with finishing things Right. And yeah, we're the same. We're yeah, exactly the I, same. I, I couldn't I couldn't complete projects, you know, and I remember going to my graduate director, John Malinowski, at the time and saying, you know, like, oh, what do I do? You know, this is you know, there's just too much work. It's so much work. And he's like, No, no, your problem is that you have you don't have enough work. You need more work. And what he what he meant was that you needed um, you know, in a in a very simple way, you needed uh an aspect of working that was more hobby-like, that was more personal and private. And once mm -hmm. I started, once I started engaging in that kind of work, I it all clicked because then I realized, like, I was making these sort of these helmets, and then I realized that they were really typographic in sense. Right, <laughs> and, right. and and so that you know, and I think you know, so many people have that experience where you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I've been doing this my whole life, I just never knew it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that was the other that you started answering exactly my next question because I was curious about your time in Japan and then eventually going to grad school. I guess where you you mentioned that you were writing, you were drawing these comics, and for me, when I kind of discovered design and I discovered graphic design or realized graphic design was the thing that I was interested in and wanted to do when I was probably 15, 14 or 15 years old. Mm. Um, but I, before that, I was this kid who was just interested in a lot of things. I like uh, read a lot. I drew a lot. I was interested in art. I thought I wanted to be an architect. <laughs> I, watched a lot of, I watched a lot of movies. There's just like all this <laughs> stuff that I yeah. like really wanted to do. And when I found design that seemed like a way to bring all of those things together exactly. and that yeah. all of these different things I was interested in, I could actually look at through a design lens. And it, I, yeah, it sounds like you, and I'm curious, was that your experience kind of when you were working at the magazine, when you then went to grad school, was it, did design feel like this way to kind of connect all of these things you're interested in? Exactly. I mean, I mean, it's like I, I say to students all the time and, and to friends too, I mean, we get to play with all the toys, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, and, and that expression actually came from um, a, a, a really pivotal discussion I had in my life with one of my uh, philosophy professors who actually came from a, a physics background. He had a, a, a background in, in cosmology. 
Uh, and I remember talking to him and saying like, wow, how did you move from, you know, thinking and, and trying to describe the universe to, to philosophy? And he actually just looked me right in the eye and he said, you know, I just wanted to play with the big toys. <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, what is he talking about? You know, and then we talked about it and he was like, no, you know, I wanted to be able uh, to be more free and, you know, and, and um, for, for me that as you're describing too, I think that yeah. that's, that's the excitement with uh, graphic design is that you, uh, you know, you know, now there's a danger there too. Um, you know, too much of this, you know, master of none, so to speak type of thing. Oh, but, yeah. but um you know, I mean, in, in our time and, you know, going back to the 90s, and I know that this term has come into play recently, you know, this idea of a generalist. I think nowadays people are talking about it more in terms of, you know, being able to, to work in, in many aspects of graphic design. But I think in my time, a generalist was somebody who was, as you're describing, well-read, well-studied, right. uh, interested in everything. Um, and, 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 and in that way, I think well prepared for for life in graphic design because it is it is an opportunity for endless learning and for yeah. and for infinite projection, you know. Yeah, yeah, and you know it's funny. I, I you know just to kind of quickly go back to talking about finishing projects. Um, you know, I was the same way where I would start. I was actually just thinking about this the other day that I have you know a dozen kind of quote unquote, personal projects that I've started that are just kind of sitting there. And I remember, I remember a couple of years ago, kind of realizing that the, the part that I had trouble finishing was when it actually got to the, like the detailed design stuff. Right. Um, when it got into the really setting the type, kerning the letters, right. kind of selecting this color or that color, like that's where I would actually start to kind of get bored and lose interest because <laughs> the ideas, the concepts, the 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 asking questions that part of the process was over uh yeah. and that was the part that actually i i kind of realized that i was really excited about yeah yeah no i i have the, i had the same experience i mean i have really great admiration for and actually i was talking about this with a friend of mine from uh you know the guys in italy uh studio moot uh oh, thomas yeah. Kron, thomas and we were talking about that um and he, and I was saying, you know, like, as we're describing, I have this real problem with finishing. And he said, oh, that's not a problem for me. I know when it's done. And I was like, wow, I really admire that. You know, I wish I had yeah. that, but I, I don't. I always feel there's something more. I think I told him there hasn't there hasn't been anything that I finished and, you know, either sent off to press or sent in where I didn't, you know, the next day say, oh, man, I wish I could. I could have done this. I could have done that. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I think that's healthy, you know. I mean, it, you're always, you know, you're always checking yourself. You're always, you know, you're always, you know, maybe a little suspicious that something could have been better. So I think that's a healthy, a healthy tendency too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I literally have gone back to student projects from my undergrad years and have redesigned them uh, <laughs> after the fact because I thought they weren't quite, yeah, right you know, yeah. later. And I always think of, I think it was Da Vinci who said, or, you know, this has maybe been attributed to Da Vinci. I don't know if he actually said it, but something to the effect of a painting is never finished, only abandoned. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of how I've come to think about all of my work is, is yeah. that it's just, it's just abandoned. Like nothing's yeah. actually ever finished. No, it's, and it's perfect. You bring that up because, and I, I I've, for some reason, I've 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 always had a very wherever I've lived, I've always had a close friend that was a painter, and I think that's kind mm. of co coincidence. But there's something about that. But what I've always admired about and 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 envied to some degree was you know the ability of painters to you know work a painting, for, you know for, for however mm. long you know as many times as I would let's say go to someone's studio and see something in progress and then come back and see it's totally changed, completely painted over. But what's what's so amazing is that all their process is preserved, and they actually use that to, you know, to right. build the painting, etc. And I, you know, I think we have the same, you know, the same amount of work goes into um, into you know creating graphic design. But once let's say once it goes to an offset press, all that all those layers are gone. You know? Right, right, and, right. You know, you know, I think you see some people trying to preserve aspects of that, but. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating. Is that so maybe that's a way that we can talk about your your ongoing 
project that just wrapped up and I, I'm nervous that I'm going to pronounce it wrong. Ficciones Typographica? Oh, that's pretty good. Ficciones Typographica. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's really nice. Good. I, I should have asked you that before we started <laughs> <okay>. recording. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I see that project as kind of uh, actually now in the context of this conversation, that project kind of connects all of these things we're talking about where, um, you know, it's kind of you kind of bringing people together. It's you kind of approaching design from a more personal, maybe a more uh, kind of art approach. Um, sure. how, how, how do you see that project kind of fitting into your larger practice and kind of connecting to these things we've been talking about? You know, you're exactly right. And the project actually evolved out of really the same process we were just talking about. I, you know, about, I think it's about 12 years ago, I started a blog called Geotipografica. And that was a, that was a more, um, let's say, traditional, you know, approach where I was, I was finding certain designers or artists and then writing about them. And at the beginning, it was more of a way to to interact with my students and provide you know content mm -hmm. to them. But then it grew, and you know, I, I realized people were actually reading it, and you know, became more opinionated, etc. And much later, when I when I first started thinking about doing this project, I was building this. It was just going to be a place for me to play privately, uh, and yet in a public way. But as literally as I was building the board, I was I was in my garage. Um, you know, tinkering with some stuff. And I was like, Oh, man, wait a second, I have to no, this, I have to make this, you know, I, you know, I, I'll right, start by right. inviting people. And it's the perfect continuation of that same approach, you know, which is just really, really trying to engage with the world, in a way. And in this way, you know, it, 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 it was sort of an open brief, it was very loosely defined. Uh, and that allowed, I think, a really, you know, a gathering of people um that you know I, you know i don't know it, it for me it was so perfect because i didn't i didn't have to say anything you know but it had such a in my view anyway right. it had such a powerful voice and a powerful presence and and it, it was it was other people's voices that made it that way not necessarily mine so it was really liberating it was, it was um just a you know, it was a really joyful experience you're forcing me to kind of rethink my own work in some new ways and i think this podcast is actually doing something very similar to, to your project in that it was a way to, A, bring a bunch of interests that we had kind of together in, right. into one project. And, you know, if I'm really honest, this podcast has evolved to basically become a way for me to talk to people that I'm interested in. Sure, um, yeah. And it, it's a way to bring people together. It's a way to kind of create a community. It's a way to start some sort of dialogue, uh, but to do that in celebration of or kind of to raise voices of other people yeah uh and i didn't see that connection until just as you were kind of talking about it well i think that's what drew me to your project too i mean i, I mean i'm really drawn to, to exactly that you know where you know wherever there are efforts um you know to 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 bring idiosyncratic voices together Right, and, right. and allow them to, 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 to be themselves. I think that's especially important in this day and age. Um, you know, and I think it's a, it's a nice evolution, you know, and I, I know, you know, for example, so in early in the, in the blogosphere days, that was the concern of, let's say yeah. the, the editorial class within, right. um, you know, what, whatever discipline that, oh my gosh, you know, the, the, the so-called dem democracy is going to overwhelm the, um, the, the, well-heeled uh, opinions that should matter, right? right. And, there, and okay, there's something to that. But, you know, I was always much more interested in the, you know, sort of radical democracy that, you know, the internet mm -hmm. promised. And I, I, I had that connection very early on. And I was telling you earlier about my, my working in Japan. I mean, we were still working in, um, you know, um, uh, rudimentary environments, but Apple's, Apple had a, a social service out there. It was called eWorld. And oh, I, right. I, I remember it blowing my mind, you know, that, oh, my gosh, this is it. You know, this is this is total democracy. Everybody has their little node and you can be here. You can be an individual. And at the same time, you know, mm -hmm. so, of course, we can see today the, um, you know, the, the extremes of of, uh, of the negative of, uh, in right. that. But at the same time, um, 
Yeah, no, I mean, that, that project for me was, you know, ironically, when it first started, I, 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 my friend Benoit Bautuin, when I was, when I was still doing uh, invitation only to the project, he actually, he actually, he's a really great type designer in France. He encouraged me to open it up for submissions. And I was a little worried about that because I actually, I didn't want to be um, the, the sort of curate, curator that I was describing earlier that would, you know, right. that would say no. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I was really surprised because the quality um, increased. You know, I, I mean, I was worried that I was going to get you know, massive amounts of submissions and I did. But excuse me, they were actually um, really high quality submissions. And what I more often, more often than not, I didn't reject pieces outright. I would let them sit and you know, uh, over the course of time, the, the project started developing this you know, sort of long-term narrative. And there would come a time on occasion where something that at first I thought, oh, I'm not sure, it just fit right in. And so then it would come up. So, you know, unfortunately, and I have to extend my apologies. I mean, there were some people that waited three years for their piece oh, wow. to go up. But, um, you know, I would often contact people and say, hey, I think the timing is just right for this. What do you think? Is it still reflective of your work? And you know, we would have a discussion and then it would go up. How did that process and kind of, you know, being that curator that you're, you're kind of talking about and being a part of that dialogue and just the project in general, how did that influence or affect the work that you were doing outside of the project, whether yeah. that was teaching, whether that was kind of more traditional design work, your other kind of personal work, yeah. how did those start to talk to each other? Well, it's, it's really interesting actually, because I mean, as a teacher, I've always tried, um, and I, you know, I believe this and I, I, I really hope it's true. I've always tried to be as open-minded as possible with students and to, to teach from and to their idiosyncrasy, as opposed to introducing them to um, a, a certain approach, it's, you know, let's say, um, um, you know, let's let's build up from modernism and, you know, the expression, you know, first you have to learn the rules and then you can break them. And actually, I don't believe in that at all. I really think that you you. So I, what I'm trying to say is that as a teacher, I think I have a great amount of 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 not just patience but respect for um, what someone might dream up, um, and I think right. that comes that comes from my background. You know, not coming from a um, uh, you know a, a a traditional approach or a traditional education. Um, so you know, I think that's really the heart of it is 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 really allowing. Uh, you know, other voices to to have their say, not judging it, um, you know, aesthetically. There were certainly, for example, parts of the project where, um, and I've said this elsewhere, that I, you know, I wasn't necessarily enamored of the aesthetic, but I, I, I trusted it in a way. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, I was often really surprised too by, you know, I would think, you know, to myself as I was hanging something, because, you know, there's this sort of private part of the project where it's just me in the garage and making some wheat paste and I would think, oh man, no one's going to like this one. And then that, that one would get a huge response, you know, on, on social media. So uh, right. that was, a, that was always a way of reminding myself too, that you, you know, you, you really, you really have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's much, it's much better to be a part of um, a larger conversation as opposed to a, you know, a specific one within uh, you know, a certain, um, you know, orientation or um, mm -hmm. manifesto or something like that. You know, I, I've had colleagues that I've always greatly admired, you know, that they, you know, they've, you know, for example, in their work, you can see that they've really chosen a path. You know, let's say, mm -hmm. let's say it's just for, for discussion, let's say it's a, it's a modernist path. And I've always admired that, like, wow, they're so dedicated to that aesthetic and that way of thinking. And that could never be me, <laughs> you know, right, I, remember, right. I remember a conversation around those issues, you know, somebody, a, a teacher of mine, I think it was John Malinowski again, he asked me, well, are you a, are you a minimalist or are you, and I, I would say, oh yes, I, yes, I'm a minimalist. I really, and then, you know, I would go back to my studio or my apartment and it's just this huge collection of stuff and it's like god i'm not a minimalist at all there's nothing there's right, nothing right. about that in me and so you know those things um yeah <laughs> you 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 discover those things i think 
I want to talk more about that approach kind of in the classroom, actually, because that's something that I think about all the time. And I'm doing more and more teaching, and that's kind of where I see my career headed is, is mm -hmm. kind of spending more and more time in the classroom. And like you, I try to try to really let the students lead and try to teach to kind of individual interests and, and to the individual students. Mm -hmm. But I also, I you know, I maybe as someone who came up in a design school, both undergraduate and graduate level, went through all of those design history classes mm -hmm. um, that, that are oversimplified and kind of present these things aesthetically and very linearly. Yeah. And I kind of intellectually know that that is not the way that I want to teach those things. Sure. And I intellectually know, I intellectually believe that you don't have to teach the rules to break the rules. Right. But it's really hard when I'm standing yeah. in front of the, the students to then actually do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious how you do that. I no, I totally agree. I think there has to be a balance. You know, my, my colleague here at MCAD, Jan Jankor, and I were just talking about this exact issue the other day. Now, when he when he was in graduate school, he was at Cranbrook in the, and, mm -hmm. you know, the heyday of, of, right. of, of postmodernist work. And he was really at the forefront of some of that. And I remember he just told me the other day that when he came to teaching, he had absolutely zero interest in any modernist principles. But then he quickly discovered that it was a perfect vehicle to deliver exactly what we're <laughs> describing, essentially right. the, the, the essence of the practice. And I think that's really, that's why, why he's such a wonderful teacher. And I think that's you know my conflict is where i yeah i i say oh i'm teaching from and to idiosyncrasy my my especially at the you know let's say introductory level classes but this is mirrored in advanced level classes too i do try to i think it's fair to say take some risks with the students and there's a there has to be a certain point when you realize you know you know no matter what you're delivering alongside their work through lectures or examples you know uh, people that you're bringing to their attention there there has to be a point where you say well okay but then you know here are some uh i wouldn't call them foundational issues but here are some things that could help you ground yourself um mm -hmm. and you know i i it, it's funny because you know there's always a discussion about you know would you would you like to create a book or make a book or write a book about uh, introduction to typography or introduction to design and I, th I think that is the scariest question anybody can ask you because <laughs> you know if I think of Armin Hoffman Emil Ruder, Müller Brockmann, right. you know, the, you don't, you don't need, you, you don't need any other foundational books, and at, and at the same time, that's the canon that we are, especially nowadays, justifiably suspicious of. But gosh, it's a really fantastic, you know, beginning, you know, uh, to think of those uh, those seminal volumes. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I agree with you. I think there has to be a balance um, in 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 interacting with the student and. and I think the hardest part is getting them, especially at the introductory level, to understand the level to which they have to aspire, um, mm. and to 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 know the obligation they have to this tradition, not as a I'm going to be a practitioner like that, but to understand how many people around the world are engaged in this discipline, um, and why you should be suspicious of the textbook so to speak right, right the right. history book um because you know you have to have to, you have to ask yourself at some point well which one is the right one right um uh my gosh you know the way that some of my colleagues in germany approach typographic education i mean there are there are literal literal laws for 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 typing how to appropriately you know uh set type uh in some ways uh, but you know yeah. those, those ideas don't translate very well uh, in other cultures, you know, so I mean, again, but to me, that's the promise of graphic design, that it is infinitely variable, infinitely uh, possible, right. right? I love everything that you just said. And the conflict that I feel like I encounter every course that I teach, and especially when I'm teaching kind of introductory type classes, or, or kind of sophomore level typography classes, is that I kind of 
basically present this paradox, but I don't present it as a paradox. And I say, you know, none of this stuff that I'm telling you are rules. Right. Uh, these are these are just kind of ideas. These are one way. This is one way of doing something. But then when we're in critique, I fall back on them as if they're rules. Yes. Um, you know, I'm like, oh, you should kern this a little bit or like, oh, you know, this grid feels off. Right. And I, I'm, I struggle to find the balance between that. Um, here are the things that you need to know to get a job. Right. Here are the, you know, right. here, here are the things that people expect from a graphic designer, but here's how you can also be um, experimental and you can try new things. And I talked to uh, Mitch Goldstein about this when I had him on the podcast and he said something that was really refreshing to me. He's like, the way he treats it is that he is not the only teacher that those students will have. So if he doesn't <laughs> teach it, they will learn it from someone else. And I like that, but I also feel a little bit like, I, like if I do that, that's a little bit of a cop out. And so yeah. maybe the question that I'm asking you is, is how you kind of think about that conflict. And yeah. also as somebody who is a chair of a program how you kind of structure a program to have both sides of those. Yeah. No, I, I love that. That's such a great uh, expression. And I, t I can totally relate to that. I often tell students that essentially, you know, yes, your portfolio, for example, as you're leaving school or as you're looking for an internship, it should be modular in nature. You should be able to adapt it to the studio, the, the person, the place that you're applying to. And it, and it has to be reflective of your abilities, not necessarily reflective of your genius. Um, mm -hmm. ha having said that, in a, in a critique situation, the way I try to allow for a little bit of a balance, yes, I am and can be, and I do act as an authority figure in engaging with the material and say, well, this is how I feel about it. But what I challenge and ask the students to do is to create argument. And I, and I mean that, that mm -hmm. it is their responsibility to both present and defend their work. And a successful argument um, is always going to be subje subjective at its heart, but a, success, right. a successful argument and the ability to provide a successful argument for what you are doing and why you're doing it is really perhaps even more important than the design itself, because you're, you're you know, we're, we're always fond of talking about, you know, explaining work to clients, explaining to work to colleagues, et cetera, and the problems they're in. But that's really what it comes down to. I mean, it, it's it's always going to be a a subjective morass, you know, there's the graphic, yeah. and, and thank God we wouldn't want it any other way. We wouldn't want graphic design to be defined, let's say as, as plumbing is codified, right? There, there are certain, you know, there are certain standards that, that a plumber must be able to apply and respect and observe to make, you know, things work. And, and surely we right. could say the same of graphic design, but we don't want that kind of structure because we want this infinite possibility. So, that's right. my concern with students is to tell them, listen, you can, I'm going to tell you that your work is, is awful, but I'm going to be open-minded in your, your approach to convince me otherwise. You know, I think mm -hmm. that's a, that's a key skill and that's a, that's a key engagement in that process of critique. So you, you just finished up Ficcionis Typographica. You have a book that just came out kind of commemorating commemorating that project yeah what are you thinking about now what's next <laughs> for you what are the things that you're kind of interested in now you know that's a really difficult question um, <laughs> you know i had all along with ficciones I, I i mean i would submit my own pieces and they were invariably and this is just because it's me they were very invariably political in nature so I've actually I've actually started a side project called Typografica Politica, um, mm. which I you know it takes place on the same surface and you know it involves it involves at this point only my work and I think it's probably going to stay that way, but it's it's moving at a much slower pace because um, and I think I, I think I've just reached a stage in my life where I'm. I'm really debating the way the way forward, <laughs> right. and and right. you know it's it's really hard to define. I mean, I've I've often said that I want to, and I believe it's possible 
in design to keep growing as a graphic designer. Yeah. But I think, I think it's natural that there are stages in your life where, you know, the questions start coming, um, maybe a little more seriously about why this and what's this about. So it's really hard to put a, 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 an expression or a definition together for, for what I'm doing. What I, what I think I'm doing now more, more than I I've ever done is, is more drawing and oh, interesting and trying and, and, and really just trying to, um, I think in some strange way, maybe even recapture, um, some of the discipline that I, I think, uh, I not necessarily have lost, but I think, you know, and I think this is true, especially yeah. as a, as a chair, once you, you're, you're more engaged with, um, other things, administrative duties, etc., cetera, uh, you do lose a significant amount of studio time. So I found that that's a, a really easy way for me to even in, in quick moments to, to still, uh, you know, ask questions uh, of myself. And uh, so we'll see where that leads to. <laughs> you know, we, we mentioned how, how we're very similar in that we have kind of a lot of interests and that we're really good at starting projects. And I'm curious how, you know, thinking about my own, own work, I have an interest in writing more. I mm -hmm. also want to kind of get back into just kind of traditional graphic design that I did 15 years ago right. uh, that I feel like I've kind of lost a little bit because mm -hmm. I've moved away from that. I sure. want to do more kind of arty projects that are outside of my client work. And it's just like, oh, I have all this stuff that I want to do. How do I, how do I do it all? How do you, how do you think about that? And, and kind of move between these different modes and projects? I think, you know, I've, I've often, you know, I remember one of my professors, Ben Day, talked to me about time management years ago, years ago, gosh, 20 some plus years ago. And in this, similar to the discussion I had with John Malinowski back then too, I think the key is, and I tried to, to, to tell students this as well, the key you know, the, as, as I, I think as designers, but I think as human beings too, there's, there's a certain, um, there's a certain pleasure and there's also a certain obligation to, 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 to not focusing too much time on one thing, meaning it's, it's better to split your time up, to have half an hour here, to have an hour here where you focus on these things. And, you know, some people might, well, that's, that's normal. That's natural. You have to be flexible. You can't just, you know, devote 10 hours a day to one thing. Um, but I think it's easy to fall into that kind of trap. Um, th there's an aspect of discipline that I am certainly not a master of or an example of, but that, that, I, that I often refer to. The, the author, Thomas Mann, who grew up in, um, oh, in yeah. the same, same city where, where I, I lived as a, as a boy in Germany, he, he had a, a habit of every single morning, no matter what, he would sit down at his desk and and stay there and either write or just stare at a piece of paper right, right, for a length right. of time and it was it was now you know some might look at that as a, a little bit extreme but i think it's something to keep in mind you know that and fortunately i still have um i still have the example of you know of my teachers you know people like john who are still incredibly prolific and and make me feel ashamed of what I have not yet accomplished with my life. And so, right. you know, I think those things are, are key too. that uh, allowing yourself to still be inspired and still, uh, still feel uh, maybe a little bit, um, um, unconfident, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My last question, and, and this leads in nicely because you were kind of mentioning some people who have kind of influenced you or inspired you. And this is a question I use to end all of these conversations. I'm curious, who are the people, the authors, designers, the books that have really influenced how you kind of think about all of this that we've been talking about? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> one of the, well, the, the Ficciones project was named um, in part, Ficciones is a, is, a, is a term, Spanish for fiction, um, but for, from, especially from the work of the author Jorge Luis Borges, oh, yeah. who my great admirer of, and, and um, his book of imaginary beings is one of the, the most influential oh, yeah. books in my life. Um, 
and also, you know, magical realism in general. The Master and Margarita by Bulgakov is, I think, one of my favorite favorite things. I don't know that one. Oh, it's it's a must. It's a must read. It's it's okay. it's a brilliant, brilliant book. Uh, it involves actually two uh, two stories that are happening, but um, I think I think you'd really enjoy it. It's it's a, okay. it's a, a fantastic experience. Adding it to the list right yeah. now. Yeah, I was just recently in Moscow, and I had a chance to actually go on a tour with um, a, a, a really brilliant docent who who showed me around the uh, the especially the beginning of the book. So it was just a fantastic experience. Oh, nice. um, but I I think you know as a designer. Um, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm forever influenced and I can still hear, for example, the voice of my teacher who's now long gone, Ochi-san Akira. Um, mm. I still learn from him. I know that sounds perhaps a little strange, um, but I, you know, I, I feel like that's part of my, my, my desire to grow old as a designer. And the, right. the, another person that I look to uh, greatly in that, in that regard is Carl Martins. Yeah, um, for yeah. obvious reasons, because he seems to, um, you know, fearlessly keep going in in this in this direction, uh, and 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 yeah, it's just endlessly inspiring. But you know, at the same time too, that I mean, that's that's part of why I I love teaching so much because the 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 challenges that you and I have been talking about today are also the um, you know the inspiration too, you know, to right. to to face the challenge of of. Of, of helping someone else understand uh, is definitely frustrating at times. Um, but here yeah. and there, there's those moments where you feel like, um, you know, you've learned something too, you know, and that's, right. that's to right. me, that's to, that's to me a big part of it as well. Eric, thank you so much. This was such oh. a fun conversation. I love talking to you. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much, Jerry. It's such a pleasure. I really appreciate it. It's such an honor. This episode was recorded on March 18th, 2019. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.